Welcome to Have You Seen This, the podcast about obscure, overlooked, and misbegotten cinema. All discussions will be spoiler-heavy. You have been warned. I'm Jennifer Albright. And I'm Tim Heidrich. We're talking about things. Just in general. <laughs> we're talking about all three remakes of The Thing. Ergo, we're talking about things. We're talking about something which is notorious among certain circles. Okay. It even has its own fans who call themselves Thingsites. I don't know why they don't just call themselves thingies. Yeah. Or things. It's it's a very <laughs> versatile word when you want to describe things. <laughs> so Tim yeah. had an idea of talking about one-shot movies, which were basically the singular achievements of their director. You know, directors who went on to direct nothing else. Yeah, and I don't know if it sounds crazy to any of you listeners, but it makes sense to me. Um, there's kind of a romanticism to it in that a person who directs one movie, it's it's a passion project. It's a labor of love. It's something that they're putting their heart and soul and a bulk of their bank account, I'm sure, into. They, you know, they finish it, they get it done, they release it to the world, and then they're never heard from again. Contrast with that, a person who has like a career making films, that almost seems like a chore. Like, it's no longer something that you do for the love of it. It's like, well, you know, I gotta, gotta earn a living. I gotta get back to making these movies. I gotta churn something out. I gotta, you know, if I wanna pay for, the, you know, the, uh, this beach house, I gotta make War Horse or something. You know, I gotta <laughs> stay busy. Yeah, because we were literally talking the other day about how the singular achievement seems to have a kind of romanticism about it. Yeah. The fact that you tried and maybe you succeeded, but you also kind of failed because you only made one movie. Well, maybe in like Which the, is kind of an uncharitable way to say it, but... Maybe in like the Japanese sense of it isn't about winning, it's about, you know, trying your best. Ah. In that it's like, you know, it, it wasn't great, but I went the distance. I did what I was supposed to. I, I did what was asked of me and I achieved my goal. I filled up 82 minutes of videotape. Exactly. You know, and sometimes that's the best that any of us can hope for. Right, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's essentially what this is. It's a direct-to-video horror film directed by this guy, Andrew Jordan, who's directed nothing else, um, produced by... One and done. (laughs) How's he going to top it? Produced by a guy named Barry J. Gillis, who has had actually a little bit more of a career. He has produced some other horror films, And I have to give them credit, they are much better than things. Now, that is an incredibly low bar, but from the trailers that I've seen and clips from his work, you know, they aren't good horror films, but they're watchable. They have a story, they're lit that you can see what's going on. Uh, They don't rely... sound? Yes, they don't rely heavily on extremely bad ADR. Wow. So you got to wonder then what did what favor did he owe the director? (laughs) I think he knew the director. Oh, okay. Well, it was nice of him to help 
this friend out. And you know, sometimes it's a hit, sometimes it's a miss. But yeah, this came out. Roll the dice. This came out in 1989, and this was the height of the era that they were just trying to get VHS tapes to fill up video rental shelves. Mm -hmm. And I know you and I have talked about this when uh, we wax nostalgic about how scary all those old VHS covers were. Yeah, and that is still a thing. Like, just as you'd browse your video store and see, yeah, like those really scary, intense, arresting covers of just bottomlessly terrible horror movies, you see the same thing on Netflix, where like it's like all the money went into, you know, the, that movie poster... That's there to get you to click on, you know, Ghost 3 or whatever. I feel like it isn't. It doesn't have the same feel, though, and maybe it has something to do with childhood because, you know, you're going through um, the selections on Netflix and you have a thumbnail, mm -hmm. which is maybe like a still from the movie and the title. And it isn't the same as, like, you know, a box art with, like, a guy's face melting off his skull. Cause do you remember how fucking freaky that was when you were a kid? I think that we're... I, I agree, but I think that you're looking at a different uh, set of Netflix data than I am because browsing a lot of the garbage horror that is on Netflix, like that's that's primarily what I think of when I think of horror on Netflix. I think of a lot of these movies where the the video, uh, like the cover of of the of the video, is much better than what you're going to actually see. It's much better than you know whatever like DVR thing it was shot on. Oh well, I mean, yeah. If you're put if you're putting it that way, if you're talking about expectations versus reality of what you actually end up watching, yeah, for sure, that's certainly true. But like, I guess more, what I'm talking about is more like kind of the visceral horror of childhood. Because I remember, like, as a kid, I remember being so scared of like the cover of Evil Dead, you know, because it's got the the eyeballs like in the skull, you know, in the skull. I thought that was so scary. Yeah. Or which one is it? God, is it? Dead Alive that has the, uh, like, the, the yeah, pulling the mouth yeah. apart. Yeah, it's I'm, like somebody pulling the lips back and there's, like, a horrible little face in there. Yeah, that's great. Like, that, and that looked so creepy when you were a kid. And then you, you get older and then you finally watch these movies and half of them are garbage. Yeah, or, I mean, you know, I'll do you one better on Netflix, you know, you know, 90% of them are garbage. Or whatever, you know, the Sturgeon's Law ratio is. Well, it's content. Right. Movies have become content. Yeah. Say, back to my point. You make one good movie and you're out. Otherwise, you're just you know Making churning. Content. Yeah, you're churning hashtag content out because you got to fill that void. This is kind of funny talking about all those scary VHS covers. Mm -hmm. Like, imagine what you get when you look at the the VHS cover of Things. A guy with a mullet and a bad mustache, like holding a giant drill that at yeah. no point appears in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly is not featured, that's for sure. No. Yeah. And that's the thing is when you you pick up one of those crappy movies from the shelf at you know video biz or wherever, mm -hmm. you get something which is exceptionally crude, but will have some kind of watchability value whether it's uh some interesting gore shots or you know titties or something like that but l imagine that you go and you rent things and what you're confronted with just can you describe the first shot of the movie which is the production company id oh it's the 3d video toaster text over a over an atom bomb explosion <laughs> 
<laughs> so you know it's gonna be pretty sick, right? Yeah, it's like, whoa, this is off the hook. Oh man, these guys are fucking crazy. They don't care what they film. Yeah, yeah, like I'm just I'm browsing right now, like back to the covers. Like here, see, like go on Netflix and look up Satanic or Clown or Last Shift or Would You Rather. Oh and yeah, those are kind of scary, I guess. I guarantee that those movies are like utterly forgettable filler. Yeah. But, I can see being a kid and thinking those were scary. Yeah, like if you look at this one for clown, you're like, hey. Like, oh, it's good. It's that an Eli Roth movie. Uh it's no, it's a John Watts movie. So I Who the I, fuck is John Watts? Well, I apologize if you know if I'm judging a book by its cover, John Watts, but anyway, here we are. I That'd I, be hilarious if you were a listener. Yeah. He's like angrily hitting unsubscribe on SoundCloud. John Watts is like, oh what the fuck? He like pulls over his car. He's just like, oh that all right, and Throws his iPhone out the window. Oh, fuck. Why did I do that? <laughs> Why am I on my phone in the, my car anyway? This is very dangerous. <laughs> God, I'm John Watts. I need to think better of myself. Third Eye. That one looks like it sucks, too. Unborn. Bet that one sucks. <laughs> David S. Goyer. Maybe not. David S. Pumpkins. Maybe that. Uh, I, I watched XX. The content, you know, hashtag content, didn't make much of an impression on me, but that it was... A uh, director who had two shorts and two friends, and they also submitted a short. It's like, hey, guys, we got a feature. We got an anthology feature. And they told two friends, and they told two friends. And then the movie just kept getting longer, and people were like, what? Like, we need to add an intermission. This is terrible. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not a fan of XX, but I do... Um, uh, I do acknowledge the uh, the work that went into it. That's a backhanded compliment, if anything. I can do well, better than that. Isn't that really what the show is all about? Backhanded compliments? Sure. I got yeah. a few more of those. Well, that and also the whole attitude of, well, you tried. <laughs> we should have called, called this podcast, Bless Your Heart. <laughs> but you know what? Actually, like, I'd love to expand on this more but we're kind of getting off the point the house next door what the hell is that it's about the house next door okay 1920s london i guess you know i guess you know the scenery is the character <laughs> well it saves having to pay actors i guess yeah for real well you want to talk about horror movie covers and how like they actually scared you in the video store and you're like this is too intense when you see the movie you're like this isn't that intense yeah and then the movie turns out to be poop and then yeah. but then we really need to convey to you, the listener, that when it comes to expectation versus reality, things is on a whole other level. Yeah, is that a higher or lower level? Jen, oh, can you clarify? I would say low. Oh, all right. That's good. If, I mean, if you're the kind of person who deliberately seeks out trash, then you've hit the jackpot. Then you are a garbage man. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, we described their totally radical production company logo. Um, do you want to describe the first scene? <laughs> yes, I would love to be able to describe the first <laughs> scene, but I can't. <laughs> Let me throw in a few details about the circumstances of making this film. It's basically made by two guys in Canada. Now, you can tell that they watched a bunch of horror movies. They have a notion of what one puts in a horror movie. Yeah. For people to watch. You know, you got to have uh, some kind of gross stuff and some kills mm -hmm. and kind of an icky premise. 
um, little creatures which burst out of a pregnant woman. Like, yeah, that's creepy and gross, right? You'd watch a movie about that. About creatures that burst out of someone's body? I, sounds sounds pretty wild and out there. But, uh, <laughs> maybe they'll make a movie about it someday. So they scraped together between thirty to $40,000. Which is in contention. Well... <laughs> That's what I love about it was that they shot it on Super 8 and 16. Shot on Super 8? Yes. Why? Why? Do you want to expand on why it would be so fucking crazy to shoot on Super 8? Because it's a terrible format, least like and and not suited for features. I mean, I love 8mm, but I love it for like home movies and experimental stuff and pornographic loops to torment Nicolas Cage with. Right, yeah. And that, yeah, that, that's my main problem with 8mm is the film 8mm. Um, <laughs> it is a terrible film. Right. Well, here's the other thing too is that, and I'm sure that um, the directors are like, Super 8, well, that's really good. 8 and 16, that's the next one up. You can probably mix those two. You know, it's really high eight and sixteen. You know, it's same same. But like, then you tell us in it. Yeah, and and sixteen. You know, what's the uh, what's the inverse square law or something? Well, you know, something that's twice has twice the length, mm-hmm. or twi- twice the dimensions, has four times the area. So you know, it's like saying, oh, I shot this in four K. Also, I shot some of it in standard def. <laughs> yeah, you know, whatever, same same. It's roughly the same area. Look, people aren't going to know the difference anyway. We'll put it all in the box art. We'll make a million (laughs) dollars. Yeah, so um, keeping all that in mind, the filmmakers did not believe they would be taken seriously if they revealed their actual budget. So they lied and said that it was shot for $350,000, which to me is inexplicable because I can't imagine showing anybody this movie and saying with a straight face we spent over three hundred thousand dollars on this because that person would go what the fuck did you spend it on you know the only person is this a tax dodge yeah the only people who would be interested to see your film that you spent three hundred thousand dollars on would be the irs (laughs) or whatever the fuck they have in canada that's the equivalent of the irs i don't fucking know Mm. it's probably run by rush (laughs) i assume that rush is in charge of everything in canada they made most of their money, as it turns out, from uh, Tim Horton's franchises. The music thing is just kind of on the side. Like I know, just you know, they sold so many albums because they bought them all with Tim Horton's proceeds. <laughs> like I know, Justin Trudeau is the prime minister. I assume that Getty, Neil, and Alex are like ministers, like underneath the office of the prime minister. Yeah, they each get a territory. Like each one gets their own time zone. Yeah, yeah, it goes uh, like I think a- that's Alex, the- <laughs> uh, and then. Um, and uh, like Getty is, uh, I think he's West Coast, Alex is East, and then whatever the other one. <laughs> Neil. Neil. <laughs> Neil deGrasse Pierce. I think yeah. that's the plot of Bitor and the Snow Dog. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so they lied about their budget. Yeah, which turns it from one kind of embarrassment into a completely different kind of embarrassment. Uh, because it does not look like $300,000. No, it does not. Yeah. You got in your head around that opening scene yet? or I, wow. Okay, so. Because again, this is all shot in Super 8. I think the 16 was reserved for the scenes with their very special guest star, 
porn star Amber Lynn. Oh, okay. Who took up $2,500 in the budget, Canadian, I assume. Right. Yeah, well, you know. So like 100 bucks. Well, there's no exchange rate. It's all, you know, apples to apples, so it's fine. Um, <laughs> it's all poutine to poutine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, We're sorry, Canada. You know what's great is after this airs, you're going to watch like the amount of followers on Twitter and it's going to plummet. <laughs> <laughs> like, we need to find a new Tim. <laughs> a new Tim. <laughs> Well, I'll just go to r slash Tim. Yeah, there's a little Need Tim. Need new Tim for podcast. <laughs> so it was nice of them to get Amber Lynn. Um, they could have, I, I want to say they could have featured her better, but that's a misnomer because she does have scenes that are just her doing like her weather girl routine, basically. She's, she's a news anchor. Yes. Reporting on the events as they happen in the film. Which is doubly confusing because you're watching them as they happen, but hearing about them after the fact. Yeah, and what she says doesn't seem to relate that much to what you've just seen, which kind of further adds to the confusion of watching things. Yeah, it's like like you get you go to the news for information, but the news is not like omniscient. Yes. They aren't like giving you a recap of things that people weren't there to witness. Yeah, because doesn't she say that they're missing, that they've been missing for like two or three weeks? And then we keep cutting back to the cabin where they're I don't fighting the things? Yes. Which I assume um, is the, the film depicts that two or three weeks of time where they're missing? That's my assumption. Yeah, see, you guys are working through it. <laughs> we're, we're doing our best. So the opening scene... <laughs> Yeah, the opening scene is, and I don't even remember it that well because it's so inexplicable. But it's 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 the guy goes down to like he's got a woman in a basement, like you do, because it's Manitoba, right? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> there are people in Manitoba going, yeah, you have no idea. Oh, it's the kind of thing you might expect from Edmonton. Oh, ugh, yeah. Or I've never been. Neither have I, which is why it's it's so great to say terrible things about a place you've never even been. Because the joke is that you don't actually know. Except it never comes off that way. And people are just like, wow, this guy really hates Canadians. What is his problem? <laughs> We've never but, even met any Canadians. I know. I've never even laid eyes on a Canadian yeah, person. Well, they hide it because, you know, understandably... Oh um, yeah, like when uh, you know when you're traveling internationally, and you're mm -hmm. Canadian. You always lie and tell people you're American, right? Yeah, because <laughs> you don't want to be inundated with like questions about hockey. <laughs> you know, ask people asking you to explain your haircut, why it's so long in the back, right? Yeah, <laughs> like did you invent this? Because it's like it seems like it's business in front, but then I go around to the back and I'm like, hey, it's a party, I want a party. here, yeah. Very versatile. So anyway, there's... So a... we cut out that whole part. He's got a, a woman in his basement. <laughs> How he got her there, I don't know. But he comes down and he's like, I want to put my evil in you. Or, you know, whatever the standard pickup line is these days. He says he wants to have a child with her, I think. Yeah, well, you know, he, he dresses it up. Um, and well, she dresses down. Yeah, well, she dresses down. Um, she, she proceeds to remove... All of what she's wearing, save for the Mickey Mouse mask, that stays on. <laughs> I, think the, I think the actress didn't want her face shown because she was nude in the film. Yeah. I would bet money that that's the case. You don't, you don't have to be nude to not want to have your face in this film, but I think she made the right decision. <laughs> so yeah, she 
you know, she gets uh, completely naked except for the Mickey Mouse mask. Um, and you can see she's already got her winter pelt. Um, but then she she tells him, she's like, hey, you know, your baby's already here. It's kind of a send in the clowns sort of motif. <laughs> and she gets the baby out and it's, I don't know, it's like a monster or something. Yeah, he sticks his hand and he goes, gitchy, gitchy, goo. Yep. Now, the other thing we should mention is that none of this is sync sound. That is, if there's one thing to mention about things, it is that. It is that <laughs> this movie does not have sync sound. The audio quality on this is, like, I need to look at the credits again because the credits are endless for a movie that looks like it was made by about three people, like three actors and one of them was holding the camera. It, like the credits are voluminous, and so I don't know who they didn't hire as like the boom mic operator, or maybe they didn't pay him, or maybe he just didn't hit record. Which you know, to be fair, we've not done that every once in a while. Um, oh. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, so it it wasn't shot sync sound, but more than that, they didn't record like on the day of. Uh, so or or or. Maybe they did, because if we look at the outtakes, I think the audio was just unusable from that day. Yes, I was going to say, I believe that is what the issue ended up being, is that they were that they recorded sync sound, but the camera was so loud that they yeah. had that. Which is a, a plausible explanation, because after the credits and after the special thanks, there's like another special thanks after that. <laughs> and one of the credits is to the guy who who fronted the money to pay to fix their camera. Because <laughs> it was making that weird flapping noise. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> you know, guys, it's supposed to make a weird flapping noise. But maybe just not not that loud. <laughs> anyway, so the they point, didn't check the gate. Yeah. So the point, they, they didn't check what they were pointing the camera at either. Uh, so though they shot at sync sound, they then had to ADR the entire movie. Yes, with varying degrees of fidelity to what was originally said. The opening scene is is great because I forgot about it completely. Because it has no bearing on the rest of the film. Yeah, I'd watched this movie uh, before and watched it again so we could do this episode. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't remember this at all. The reason I don't remember it is because it doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. Like I'm, it's it's a uh, cold geez. open. Yeah, it, well, it is a they cold put open. A, they put a cold open on their fucking feature film. Not even that. They put <laughs> they. It's uh, I don't know. I would say it's a bit of cheesecake, but the rest of the movie is so like gross and weird that seeing like a nude woman in that context, it's like seeing a nude mental patient or something. Yeah, it's like seeing photos from a guy who like locked a woman in his basement for twenty years and had kids with her. Yeah, yeah. So it's basically it's it's the story of this couple, um, and then <laughs> that ends. And I guess, well, yeah, I guess she must be the wife, huh? But the, but the but the wife in the movie, um, you know, because she's sick, and then the things burst out of her, and that's yeah. not this woman. No. So okay, well then that doesn't fucking work. I'm full. Of uh, shit. I I think is a sort of thing where again, like, <laughs> yeah. That that thing that I've said before about how a horror movie is cyclical, where you get like the abbreviated version of what's going to happen through the course of this narrative. Right. 
It's the same version of that. They just didn't do it right. Yeah. Well, they didn't do any of it right. <laughs> that too. <laughs> Again, I think as I described earlier, these were guys who clearly had watched a bunch of horror films. In fact, there are references to other movies, much better movies. Uh, they literally name drop Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. And, and Evil Dead. Yeah, which is clearly an inspiration for this as well. Yes. I mean, they weren't able to pull off to the same extent that Evil Dead did what it did. But the the problem, again, is that a lot of this is, is that you see these movies and it isn't that they're easy to make. It's that they just look like it's easy because yes. it's a it's a low budget movie, which makes it seem like, oh, this is accessible. I can just go out and do whatever. But it's like you have no idea. Like there's there's a, a big budget movie, there's a low budget movie, and then there's this outsider art that you're talking about. There's this yeah. amateurish movie. And there's a there's a, a term for it, which actually made it to Wikipedia, a Z movie. There you go. You got your A movies, you got your B movies, maybe even C movies, then you got your Z movies. Well, and this guess, is this is that. Yeah, I guess that would be the art brute of filmmaking. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's really raw and passionate because the artist doesn't know what the fuck they're doing. Really. Yeah, they didn't bother to stop and learn how to do any of this stuff before <laughs> they just got a camera. They're like, hey, you know, rented the camera. We're yeah, good to go. Not a part of any artistic tradition. Um, but they had a free couple of weekends. <laughs> exactly. But I, I, but I kid open water. Whoa! Ah, yeah, it's actually a good movie. <laughs> yeah, the, so the opening doesn't relate to the, the rest of the movie. I tried to make it fit in. It doesn't fit. No. I failed. I don't know what that thing is, though. Because, I mean, thing. I... Yeah. I feel like I know what it is. But uh, someone else must have had a name for what that is when, like, you know, you see the beginning of the whole... You see the whole movie in, like, the first act. Yeah. Because that is I guess something I'm, that happens. Yeah, because I'm naming it by a TV term, which is cold open. Yeah, and that's not even the same. Yeah. But, but you're talking about uh, the depiction... Of a theme or act, which will recur right. in the film. Yeah, it's like a microcosm of it. Yeah, if any of you fucks or academics, you can write in info at yeah. have you seen us <laughs> <laughs> or flame Jen on Twitter. I don't no, know. No, don't flame me on Twitter. I'm sensitive. Where else would you flame people but on Twitter? It's a cesspool. <laughs> it's just designed for that. So they go to the, a cabin because is there are there credits? Because I seem to think I seem to remember that you see the title twice. Yeah. Like in case you didn't read it the first time, like this this is as well yeah this is as good of a name as we could come up with, and we're using it twice. We are sticking with it. We're committed to this premise. So the story starts proper around him talking about like his mother is sick, and the two of them go up to no, a cabin. His wife. his wife, yeah, his wife is sick, and what better thing to do than go to a cabin? Yeah, because um, it's the, the the married guy's cabin, and then his two friends show up, like the the beardo, his and other then... like drifter basement dwelling friends. Yeah, yeah, and he's got a beardo friend, and then um, a mullet friend mm -hmm. with a bad mustache. Yeah, <laughs> like I've seen more, I've seen a greater variety of actors in League of Gentlemen than this movie. <laughs> So I assume that the premise is that they're, and it's a common horror movie premise, which is people going to an isolated location for a weekend getaway. Right. Or a vacation. Yeah. But they go to this, like, condemned cabin, which this guy is taking care of his sick wife in. Right, as you do. And they 
go inside looking for beer mm -hmm. and the bad mustache guy opens the freezer and takes out a book which is titled Horror of a Thousand Ugly Brutal Cuts. <laughs> it's an autobiography. <laughs> um, and what they did was they covered the the actual cover of the paperback book with printer paper and then just wrote the title and the cover. <laughs> and written book title. It's plain. Even in, eight, even in Super 8. Yeah. You can tell that this is not an expensive prop. Hmm. Um, and he also pulls out a tape recorder, which I think is their homage to Evil Dead. Yeah, if you want to be courteous, yeah, homage. Now, Tim, fact check here. Yes? If you took a tape recorder out of a freezer, mm -hmm. would you be able to immediately hit play and hear creepy chanting? Uh, maybe before like the uh, you know magnetic part fell off the tape part. <laughs> We're calling this myth plausible. Yeah, plausible. Hey. <laughs> uh, oh, and then the guy takes his jacket off and sticks it in the freezer. This is a very versatile icebox, I gotta say. <laughs> Like it's a bookshelf, it's a media cabinet, <laughs> and, and it's, it's a, a wardrobe. Yeah, <laughs> like I can only assume that the refrigerator part is broken, so they have to put everything in the freezer. I suppose. <laughs> like the the cupboard doesn't work either. That's why everything else is in there. Maybe like it's the only thing that they could like stage to work with, or maybe it's because it was at the same height, so they didn't have to move the camera. You know, you might be onto something there. I sad to say. Yeah, uh, although I disagree with my own speculation because I think that is too innovative. I think a truly lazy filmmaker would have just panned around with whatever the guy was doing as he, he sort of uh, puttered around the kitchen. Whether he framed him correctly or not. Right. Yeah. We should also say that all of these shots are completely devoid of art. Right. There and, and is no sense of composition. Or even that leveling the camera is important. Yeah, you know, it's hard. It isn't something that you notice immediately. Yeah. Especially if you aren't trained in whatever you're doing. Which is funny because it's something which a Z-grade filmmaker will miss, but something which audiences, even if they can't verbally identify it, understand intuitively. Because even if you're just a random person watching a movie, you know when you're watching cheap garbage. Yeah. It, yeah, it's, it's the, the devil's in the details. What else can I say? Um, Again, I just keep imagining like all those people who rented things in like 1990 from their local video store and tried to watch it. <laughs> like, can you fucking imagine? Well, I think that out of that, there was a tradition that we are today following, which is kind of... Um, you know, making trash. No, no. It's life giving you lemons and you make lemonade out of it to the point where people seek out that aesthetic. Cause it's one thing to be like, oh, I really got burned by this movie that had a great cover. Like this guy, you know, this Canadian bemulleted guy has this, you know, two foot drill. Something is crazy is gonna happen in things, and then you see a blown up Telecinied Super 8 movie with wall to wall ADR. And, and by paper mache creatures. Yeah, and paper mache creatures, 
And it almost becomes a thing where you aren't seeing the movie for quality, but you're enjoying just how terrible it is. Mm -hmm. And we, I feel like we've come full circle. Our work here is done. We've we've unlocked the key to, to watching shitty movies. You're making lemonade from lemons. You're saying, hey, like, get a load of this, which is pretty much what we're doing now. We're telling the internet, hey, get a load of this. So lemonade tastes like shit, though. Yeah, well, it really does. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's someone saying, you know, I, I drank a lot of lemonade. Like, I'm a big fan of juice. Like, I go out and have juice, like, you know, every Saturday with my friends. I think I can make a pretty good lemonade. It's got lemons in it, obviously. And then, you know, you just mix the rest up and bam, you got lemonade. Yeah, what is it? Just like lemons and water? You yeah. You just put it in a blender? Yeah, just blend some lemons. I mean, it's called lemonade. What? Like, you don't have to be, you know, a rocket surgeon to know this. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we're watching the cinematic equivalent of blended lemons. Yeah, I can really taste the pulp. Yeah. And uh, that really bitter white rind part. Yeah, just, you know, little splinters of lemon seeds in there too it's very yeah. sour well you're welcome internet i'm here to help <laughs> we haven't even gotten to the things yeah we have there's so much to marvel at and yet um we the haven't. movie itself is so incredibly soporific to experience yes like the mind wanders constantly because i think that on the most basic level watching a movie is you're looking for a story to follow yeah you're trying to find a pattern in you know nonsense and when the movie itself is visually almost unwatchable it's just that visually the, confused yes the sound is really difficult to listen to the sound is neither here nor there and the lead actors keep sitting down to drink beer and fiddle with the television yeah we're just we're watching some you know drunk random mullets like kill a weekend while a guy's wife is sick. When you actually tune in and listen to the dialogue, you get lines like someone saying about what's on television. They get the bestiality network here. <laughs> what kind of like mad world do these guys inhabit? the The funny thing about that is that the the movie both <coughs> visually and uh, auditorily is is completely confused and is unwatchable. But you can tell that these guys are fans of the genre. Yes. That's why they decided to burn $30,000 and make this piece of garbage. Because they really thought they could make another Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, because it's like, hey, I've seen these movies and they're low budget. They're obviously easy to make, right? Wrong. But you can tell that they're fa fans of the genre, not just from you know them talking about... Because the Bestiality Channel comes up in the context of... Them talking about, oh, the guy who lives up here, like, he gets a lot of weird channels. Yes. And you see there are echoes of Videodrome in that. So you know they know Videodrome. And they... Point. Yeah, and they talk about, like, uh, they talk about Aleister Crowley and, like, satanic cults. And they talk about all this, you know, like, occult esoterica, which shows the guys are definitely fans of the genre. Or, you know, being teenagers and going into the local bookseller and asking, hey, do you have the Satanic Bible? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> do you have the horror of a thousand brutal ugly cuts? <laughs> yeah. Oh, and in fact, too, naming Judas Priest is incorrect because specifically Tony Iommi of Black Sabbath gets a thank you 
in the end. Oh, yeah. Just like an inspirational, like, thanks for, you know, being you. So, you know, you have <laughs> Do you her- think when he found out, he was like, hey, leave me the fuck out of this shit? Yeah, I know. Like, he, well, he has to, he has to put in a call to, uh, you know, to Neil Peer to be like, hey, I know that you're the regional commander of this section of Canada. Could- <laughs> The God Emperor yeah. of Canada, or or does it, <laughs> or does he like does he need to go through like Alex because like they're of the Guitar Clan, and it'll be like Alex, like you need to talk to this, like you jump, leave me out of your movie. Did we just pitch an animated Netflix show? We we pitched an animated Adult Swim show for 2005 that yeah. did not get picked up. Yeah, but that hey, sounds typical yeah. of something we would do, right? But hey, you know, it's a it's a line item on a resume. What are you going to do? So, yeah, Tony gets thanked in that. They're obviously fans of the genre. Otherwise, why else would they blow all this time and effort? Well, I don't want to say effort, time and money into <laughs> into making things. Um, so it's it is they they play on that same um, thing that you've seen in the thing and that you've seen in alien which is and the thing you've seen in evil dead which is there's a lot of downtime of getting to know the characters and people kind of fruiting away their time otherwise known as character development and this it's wasting their time and hours but it goes you can categorize it under character development um before the actual horror shows up well you do learn a lot like how that uh, one guy likes to drink beer and the other guy likes to drink beer and he also has a beard. A Canadian who both... likes watery beer. That's so weird. <laughs> and they're they're both kind of interested in pornography. Uh-huh. Yeah, they're it's, really it's a, it's it's richly drawn. They're dynamic characters. Let's not let's not uh, give them short shrift for that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you learn about these people that you otherwise don't give two shits about. Uh, and then... these guys who are waiting for their friend who Meanwhile, is caring for his sixth wife. Like they, um, I think he gives her some pills, and she says, "Thanks, I feel terrible." Yeah, I would feel terrible too if I was. I'd feel terrible if I was married to that guy. Yeah, you wonder if she's the nude woman from before. Probably not. I think the the first because she showed her face on camera. Right. Well, yeah. Well, probably not because the first one was like, "Okay, there, I you know, pose your stupid little movie." No, we aren't having sex. I got to go see my mom. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. the the early the first season of Trailer Park Boys was kind of fucked up. It was, yeah, it was out there. (laughs) But I I like the direction they took it. They were they replaced all the things with uh, Randy, so little parasitic insects instead of things they had cheeseburgers. (laughs) We haven't gotten to the things yet. No, we haven't, and that. I feel like we're conveying in some small way the frustration of watching things. Yeah, like Jesus Christ, these two people are just jabbering in a room. Yeah, and like there's, I you know what part I love? I love the part when they're um, flipping through TV channels, mm-hmm. and you know he the guy says thing about like yeah, it's the bestiality channel, and then the the one guy like turns it to what is obviously pornography because mm-hmm. you hear like like heavy breathing and moaning, mm-hmm. and then cut to the beardo sitting on the uh the couch and he points at the tv like he's like it's a kind of interesting episode of 2020 he says that's good leave it on that huh (laughs) 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 and and again listening to these two chuckleheads talk like the way one of them holds forth he he kind of reminds you of like that know-it-all friend you had that like never left your hometown 
and is kind of tedious to hang out with. Like that's really the vibe that I'm getting from like the from the mustachioed protagonist. Like when you're in town visiting your folks, you kind of feel obligated to go get a drink with him. Yeah, and, and then like, you remember why you never hang out with him. Yeah, like an hour and a half into your your meeting at the bar, you're like, why do I always call this guy up? Yeah, you're just like you're nursing that single beer, just like or or no, you finished it ages ago and so you're just like fiddling with this empty can like waiting for him to finish the story that leads to another story yeah so between him and the other guy it's it's like a serial killer get together like everyone in like smoky aviators and like shitty little mustaches <laughs> it's like the serial convention like a, and that one sandman yeah it was like they wear too much denim for some reason yeah yeah except they're not at a, ho- at a hotel they're at leonard lake and charles ing's cabin in Northern California. Yes. Right. Look, look it up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so what I said before that it was wall-to-wall AVR, I didn't mean wall-to-wall in the sense of like uh, a, a wall of sound. I mean that it is, there is not a natural sound in this movie. It is people talking, but they ADR everything using just the actor's voices. Like if the actor is opening like... A bag of chips. It's like, oh, let me open, let me open this bag of chips. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna tear up this sheet of paper. Yeah, there's a scene where a guy has to open up a breaker box. Yeah, and whereas a normal person in real life would simply go to the breaker box and open it. Yeah, he has to narrate it as he's opening it. It is just, it's so confusing. It, the j- yeah, You j- haven't even mentioned the music, which sounds like it was made in garage band. It's like a drum kit straight out of rock band. To be honest, like I've heard better musical acts at a pizza parlor. <laughs> like You it, can tell they saved it for months for that drum machine, though. Yeah, well, maybe one day they'll learn how to use it. Because like, it doesn't play itself. And the, the filmmakers, I think, or at least um, the producer Barry J. Gillis is interested in music because he has made his own music videos and i believe that he is part of one of the bands that's credited he he's interested in music because the the movie credits the music first good point which is always a bad sign yes um it's bands that you haven't heard of called familiar strangers and i assume it's pronounced strychnine yeah that's a that's a pretty clever name. I bet they have a cool fucking logo drawn on notebook paper, though. Oh, man, I do want to see that It's, now. like, all pointy. Yeah, well, yeah. And it's <laughs> the, the S is that S that you remember from middle school. <laughs> that diamond this, shape. This, like, Stussy yeah. looking S. <laughs> S-T-R-Y-K-9. Look them up on SoundCloud. And again, because these are obviously people who are very passionate about their music, mm-hmm. they put in everything they made into the soundtrack there's a scene later on where the married guy is wounded and bad mustache guy says i gotta cauterize your wound but underneath it is this weird 50s synthesized sounding song like that that those very 50 sounding chord changes okay and you ask yourself, what does this have to do with what's going on the screen? It's a man writhing in agony and someone about to press a red hot iron to his wound. Maybe it's just what's on the Bestiality channel at that time. 
All those famous bestiality themed stag films of the fifties. <laughs> yeah, doo-wop and and bestiality were really popular in the fifties. <laughs> they didn't have the internet. Like you said about them the guy narrating him tending to the fuse box. Like it isn't enough just to be like a guy goes to the fuse box and there's like music under it or there's sound effects under it. It's them after they've shot it going, oh, I don't remember what we recorded for this. We should fill this with something. But like they're watching it and they're just like, this movie is dead silent. We need to fill this with something. <laughs> oh my God. Horror vacui. There you go. Which is a trait of outsider art. All right. Wow, I thought I was shoving a square peg in a round hole, but well, I could almost get a, a scholarly paper out of this. It's a tenuous connection, but it is uh, a connection regardless. <laughs> but pray continue. Yeah, so again, they're, they're filling this void like we're doing now. They're talking to fill time since there's no indicator of what's going on in the scene because we don't have any audio to round out you know, the, the location or like you know, what's actually going on, it's it's basically, it's like an audio book where, you know, you don't have any sound effects or any other signifiers of what the scene is. So you just got to say, yeah, well, I'm locking down the fuse box now. I guess I'm narrating all my feelings too, because you can't convey those from the context because of how poorly edited this, this is. Now I've got to narrate my actions further. Oh, fuck. It's dark. Oh, shit. Yeah. Fuck. It's, that's the kind of dialogue. That it's you it's get. writing by way of improv, and you know, not to denigrate improv because that's a whole other episode. No, we should denigrate improv. Right? Yeah. No, it's, <laughs> it's that. Yes, and yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> improv is terrible. Yes, and <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, no, it's that there's no, like you said, like your criticism about the room is that no one has any accumulated memory. And that definitely applies here because you can't say something earlier to preface what someone does later because you're just talking, you're coming up with things stream of consciousness, which doesn't, which is not a narrative, which is the most galling thing about all this. It's just, it's talking just to talk. Because it isn't one person reacting to another. It's just people BSing and killing time and uh, observing things and narrating their actions. And Not even observing things because the things haven't fucking appeared right, yet. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> even more insulting to that. By way of contrast, uh, we did have the pleasure of watching another movie that is, which is completely ADR'd as well. Only the difference is that the ADR actually adds something to it in a weird way. Like, I think a movie that is just ADR is hilarious because <laughs> of just its gross ineptitude, which is saying like, we shot a movie and now we need to make up a story to go with it. Truth be told, it when done deliberately, it is hilarious because I remember um, there's a troupe uh, actually in Santa Monica they did a show called Mad Movies on Nick at Night. Yes, I remember it from when ago. I was a kid. Yeah. We, my parents and I loved it. Yeah. I just, I remember I was just crying with laughter with how, how hilarious it was. But they would take like an old, you know, public domain movie and they would just on the fly come up with new dialogue for it. And it was, it was just unbelievably hilarious. And um, if, if, you know, if you can seek them out, certainly do so. But uh, by the same token, it's hilarious when a filmmaker you know makes a makes a movie but then has to 
remember what all the dialogue was and just kind of make it up as they go along? Well, because that's the other question. Do you think there was a script? Ooh, we'll have to check the the unending credits to see just if there was a screenwriter to it. I know there's a producer and a director, but anything else, who's to say? The credits do claim that it was written by Barry J. Gillis and Andrew Jordan, the producer and director. What I'm picturing is kind <laughs> of a crumpled notebook with right. ideas for dialogue and scenes scribbled in it. I wouldn't go even that far. Anyway, back to my point about ADR can be good. ADR is A, always hilarious, D, can be good, and R, is exceptional in Zombie 90, Extreme Pestilence. Because that movie is is also terrible. But also shot on video, isn't it? It looks like it. Yeah. Um, but you you know, you watch it and you get sucked in because it is gratuitous um anti zombie violence. Sorry, zombies. You're a vil- <laughs> you're a vilified minority and I sympathize, but that's just the way the cultural climate at the moment. Um and yeah, it's it's not a great movie, but it no. is definitely a cult movie because yes. you you know that the people who made it made the exact movie they wanted to, and the ADR in it is stupid, but it's hilarious. It's it's funny and dumb and doesn't contribute to the movie. Is that the movie where the guy says, "I'm gonna run this motherfucker's dick over"? Yeah, <laughs> it, is, it is also the and one. He does. Yeah, it is also the one where he runs a motherfucker's dick over. Yes. Uh, it is also the scene where um, there is a couple making out in a car. They're about to have sex, but the guy is like, no, nah, I have to I have to stop. I got to go take a shit. Uh, and so he gets out of the car. I've had better dates. Let yeah, me tell you. yeah, right. I know. You know what to say. Um, and he takes he takes a rifle with him. And she's like, why are you taking the gun? And he's like, bullets are the only thing that can kill the stink of my shits. Words to that effect. I'm, I'm not a I'm not a human calculator, but the point remains. And that's that's ADR that adds to it. It's true. This was 1990, which was well before poopery. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> so remember at the time when the only recourse that you had was to ventilate a turd, just just. Just, put, just pop a couple of rounds into it. Pull, just drill that motherfucker full of holes. Yeah, I love this. I, lo- I ruined so many toilets. Yeah, well, that's that's where the phrase "wreck a toilet" comes from. Right, and a <laughs> lot of people don't know that the original line from Apocalypse Now, the famous one about "I love the smell of napalm in the morning," it covers up the smell of shit. <laughs> yeah, Robert Duvall just improvised that. But then, it's true. Check IMDb. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, there's a removed piece of trivia that I screenshotted before the uh, uh, admins a, took it down. It's a piece of trivia which I submitted 20 or 25 times before <laughs> they banned my accounts. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, Zombie 90, I think, is on YouTube. And you yeah. should definitely seek that out. Yeah, if because it's funny as shit. Yeah, if you aren't already aware of it, because I feel like I'm I come lately to everything that we ever find out about. It's not it's not stupefying the way watching things is. Yeah, it's, it's arresting. It's pretty funny. Yeah, things on the other hand sucks. The end. Um, we talked a little bit about what gives this movie its for lack of a better term, it's aesthetic feel, mm-hmm. which is the material it was shot on, the dialogue, mm-hmm. the sound, the music. Mm-hmm. 
We talked about Amber Lynn. Yeah, she's sort of the uh, Greek chorus in this, I guess. Yeah, and they didn't um, they didn't put her cue cards like near or under the camera, so she's constantly looking way off to the left. <laughs> that is true for her cues. No, it's like they're the first ones to, to ever try making a movie with cue cards. It's like <laughs> well, this oh, is how you do it, right? Just put them wherever. I don't know. We'll figure it out in our sequel. <laughs> I forgot that they also cut between her. And a guy sitting on a grotty recliner in what looks like a closet. Yes. Like she's in a like VTR like editing room. Yeah. But he's in like a janitor's closet. Yeah, like she's not even out like in the studio. She's in like the editing room. Yeah. Which I'm sure that's where they found their editor. They're like, hey, you can edit stuff, right? And the guy's like, what? Did they have public access television in Canada? I'm sure. Yeah. SCTV. <laughs> like it was a it was a riff on that. <laughs> yeah, so there that's that's your local news in the world of things. Yeah. Is a guy sitting in a janitor's closet. Yeah, well, it's rural. You know what, Tim, we haven't mentioned the evil scientist. There's an evil scientist in this? <laughs> yeah. Completely <laughs> forgot. <laughs> okay, so we mentioned that the cabin is owned by a guy who is married and whose wife is ill. Okay. Now it comes out that he really wanted to have a baby with his wife. Mm-hmm. And what do you do when you want to have a baby and your wife is infertile? You take you... her to a mad scientist. Right. You put a devil mask on her <laughs> and take her to a mad scientist. And I think it's footage which may be repurposed from another film made by the filmmakers, but they... There's footage of a mad scientist doing mad scientist things, like pulling a guy's eyeball out of his head. And then they, there's a scene where they literally take, you know, one of those like guillotine paper cutters Mm -hmm. and he puts the guy's hand in it and cuts off his hand with it. Now that is a really angry scientist. And that's... He's not even doing science at this point. Oh, mad scientist. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And that was one quality about the film that I wanted to mention. And it ties into... Another film that we saw recently called The Willies, mm-hmm. where the premise is, it's an anthology horror movie. It's a very early Sean Astin film. He's very young in this. And mm-hmm. he and two friends are sitting around a campfire uh, telling stories. Mm-hmm. But what gets them to the storytelling is the one kid won't stop telling what's grosser than gross jokes. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, you can be a, a reserved adult and be like, oh, I'm so above this. But every once in a while, one of them hits, and you're like, okay, that's pretty good. You're like, yeah, that is really, that is, really yeah. gross. You're like, oh, this is so puerile. Okay, that one's good, though. I'll give it to you. And I realize that that's kind of a motif of things. It's just basically a series of kind of what's grosser than gross jokes. Or a horror film made by guys who only understand horror in the most basic terms. What do you put in a horror movie? You put kills and gross-out scenes, Right. Right. So they have these completely context-free gore shots. Yeah, they just have like a vague notion. It's sort of a, a horror film cargo cult. It's like, well, <laughs> we've got all this bamboo. If you put like a couple of bamboo wings and like a bamboo fuselage and put it at the top of the hill, bingo, you got yourself an airplane. Hey, paper cutter, you could cut a guy's hand off of that. And, you know, I got access to one because, you know, they got one in the school where I work as a janitor. <laughs> Again, not to denigrate the janitorial arts. No, very important. Yeah, well, they got a better we are, name than we do. We here at Have You Seen This are friends to the worker. 
<laughs> but not like shitty workers. Not people who are bad at their job. I'm no friend of them. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, yeah, like, yeah. well, you mean like you? Oh, yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so essentially you just get a series of kills. And I guess that's where the things finally come in. Because the finally things... Finally come in, yes. <laughs> because the things were created by the mad scientist. Oh, I completely missed that. Did they yeah. come out of like the guy's stump after his hand got cut off, or I think those are separate experiments. You know, oh, like he has okay. a body of work. Yeah, he's and got that's a lot of rods in the it. fire. Yeah, yeah exactly. Good. But you know, it's a lot of paths to success as a mad scientist. But the guy wanted his wife knocked up, and the mad scientist knocked her up with a bunch of well, you can't see gremlins with some things. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> And uh, they're kind of like little paper mache ants. They're like ants with giant fangs. Yeah. Like uh, like an anglerfish or something, but on an ant's body that's the size of like a uh, like a squirrel. Yes. And they just keep appearing. Yes, and yeah, and by keep appearing, I mean the camera will reveal that a paper mache thing is sitting on like a toilet seat, or it's been set on top of a cabinet. <laughs> Not moving, mind you. Right, yeah, they're just there. Or one is like taped or like, you know, tied with string to a guy's ankle so it'll follow him around or something. Yeah. But yeah, they're otherwise inert. Yeah, they're 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 like hobgoblin inert. Yes. It's just sort of a They puppet. don't even move as much as the hobgoblins, because the hobgoblins kind of vibrated a little bit. Yeah, a little, yeah. They have the that they have that illusion of vitality to them. But yeah, so they burst out of the wife, mm-hmm. and then uh, after con- after they confront some of the monsters, they retire to the kitchen, mm-hmm. where they then proceed to have a very slowly paced conversation about what to do, and bad mustache guy <laughs> is like, oh, this reminds me of a story I heard once in Scotland. When did he get out to Scotland? <laughs> Like he's, he tells us it's com- about a very deep lake with a plesiosaur. In it. I don't know if you've heard it. <laughs> yeah, because he tells he tells this completely irrelevant story about. Oh, you know, it would be funnier if I actually remembered the story. Just make it up as you go. That's what the well, actor did later. Yeah, did. I wonder if I wonder if it's in the quotes. Trivia. Was it about when he tried to get an out of state check cashed? <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Oh wow! Here's interesting trivia. Okay. Jessica Stewart, who plays the nude lady in the opening scene, was actually a sex worker. Oh, that's how they did it. Attempts were made to include her in the 2008 DVD release of the film, but she could not be found. You don't say. <laughs> well, anyway, I'm just bogging everything down. <laughs> but anyway, so they, re- they retire to the kitchen, and then Bad Mustache Guy is like, oh, this reminds me once of the story about the kid who killed a bunch of people, or something like that. Okay. That, that happened that kid, in Scotland. Yeah. He didn't get vaccinated, and he killed a bunch of people. <laughs> and he killed a bunch of old folks. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, and it's completely irrelevant to everything that's happened in the movie so far. But the important thing is, it takes up some time, because that is the thing that you don't think of when writing a movie: is that every scene is supposed to advance the story. Yeah, and then a movie has to be like you know at least seventy minutes long. Yeah, so that's why you put a nude woman at the beginning. <clears throat> you add a story about maybe the Loch Ness Monster, I don't know. And then you put a, at the end uh, 11 minutes of outtakes. It's actually hard to distinguish the outtakes from the feature. <clears throat> I mean, like Amber Lynn tells a story. Oh, yeah, she tells, a, she tells a story about working with John Frankenheimer. Yeah, which, you know, 
good for her. Yeah. There's some other outtakes of scenes they didn't use because I guess they didn't fit like the tight narrative. Now, I, I believe that the movie, yes, the movie was released in on DVD by Intervision Pictures in 2011 if you want to see it in the highest quality. Yeah. I, I assume there was a fresh telecine of the material. Yeah, I mean, maybe we're just working off a bad, you know, nth generational copy. Maybe we just don't understand it. Wow. We've, we've been completely misled this whole time. <laughs> yeah, like, my head hurts. I don't even know what, to, what is left to say. I mean, they fight the things. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a drill and, uh, they do, dr- he does drill out things and a lot of, you know, green gravy comes out of one of them. Yeah. And then there's, uh, and I that's think- a payoff too, because like, I think the things are actually a decent prop. I don't know what the hell they're doing in this. <laughs> there is a, there's a chainsaw cause it's a horror movie. So you have to have a chainsaw. Yeah, you can't not. But I'm pretty sure that for the drill, they actually use a vacuum cleaner for the sound of the drill. <laughs> Because <laughs> it oh, sounds like a vacuum yeah, cleaner. That's right. And um, I can't even tell you how the movie ends. How does it end? With one guy. He gets out of the cabin. I guess. And then there's actually some diegetic sound in that part. Oh, you remember. You would remember how it ends. It ends the same way as Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. It, it, and, you know, for those of you who don't know. It ends as the <laughs> international cut of The Descent. It was all a dream. Yeah. So, yeah, the bad mustache so like, guy. Um, so, like, uh, Dallas, who shot JR? No, no, it was, it was good. And I actually, I really liked Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. I made No, a, it is good. Yeah, I made a... Ambrose Bierce is a good author. Yeah, you know, I'll give him that. Uh, I'm with me and some uh, some friends in high school, which is appropriate for the level of quality here. Like we made a a um, and this you know shows about what time we made it. We made a Pulp Fiction version of it, <laughs> and I think that a guy Sammy, who I was very mean to um, because I didn't want to be friends with him, um, I think he has the only copy if it even exists anymore, and it probably doesn't because. Why would Sammy keep a copy of this? Wow, so yeah. ephemeral. Yeah, well, you know, I'm sure we can get the band back together again. <laughs> make it make a remastered version of it. But yeah, can you expand on the ending a little bit? Oh, you don't want me to just like uh uh cop out like the filmmakers do? Yeah, you, you don't you <laughs> want me to just wax on my uh, high school filmmaker days. <laughs> um, it is the guy gets out of the cabin. He runs down like a a, a creek to find a bridge where there's a guy standing on it and he shouts at the guy for help because I guess he can't just like walk up the embankment. And it's actual sync sound. It is sync sound, which is It's the actor yelling and screaming at this guy on the bridge. Yeah, and the guy on the bridge, you know, he leans down and he helps hoist him up onto the bridge except for then it turns out he didn't actually escape and he's back in the cabin. Some other shit happened. I don't know. I I fell asleep. (laughs) Well, I remember that the the evil scientist shows up. Mm-hmm. He sticks his hand in the wife's blood, right where she's lying, and he kind of laughs at it. He's like, "Yep, that's blood." <laughs> and then Consent I think, laws. and then I think mustache guy shoves him in the room with the things. Hmm. Oh, we should have recorded this earlier. Like, I don't remember so much of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, I do remember. I remember a veritable platoon of, of people 
worked on this. Like this movie had assistant editors, it had second ACs, set decorators, transportation captains, transportation to and from where I ask. (laughs) It had a property master. I did not know that Panavision made a Super 8 (laughs) film camera, but cameras by Aeroflex and Panavision. I am I'm at a loss for words to describe like just the amount of manpower that went into what looked like a student film. What looks like a movie made for much less than thirty-five to forty thousand dollars. I think maybe even that number's an exaggeration. <laughs> you well, you know why the credits are so long, right? Why is that? It's because when you're making movies on this level, you're like, hey, can you help with my movie? Like I'll put your name in the credits. Maybe. It's the same kind of inflation behind the falsely inflated budget. I mean, it's like, yeah, we're a legit movie. We got a property master. We got a second assisting uh, c- uh, catering focus puller. Like, we got air. Yeah. We got cameras by Airflex and Panavision. We didn't even say they're used. We just wanted to give a thanks to them. Because the special thanks goes on for like three screens. It's, it's, they thank like 50 entities. They think the cities of Los Angeles and New York. The movie nominally takes place in California because they mentioned Sacramento at one point. Huh. It does it doesn't it doesn't yeah. fucking They look like they think Fangoria. I'm sure Fangoria is like, leave me out of this. <laughs> you know those guys fucking love Fangoria. Oh for sure, yeah. I love that portmanteau word that you you came up with. A sistering. A sistering? Yeah, you said like uh, we got an assistering camera caterer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got producers, we got directors, we got editors, we got a, a sistering camera catering studio guys. Yeah, we got everything. We got yeah. fucking Amber Lynn. Right. Yeah, she's she worked one day on this. Twenty five hundred dollars. Well. They she was hoping they would say no. <laughs> True. Yeah. That's how you do it. Tony Iommi doesn't even make an appearance in it. <laughs> so, you know, that special thanks was waste. <laughs> they asked Dead. him, but he had to back out at the last minute. Yeah, well, his scene was cut. He played one of the things. Oh, he was the um, he's the mad scientist. And he was the nude woman at the beginning. Oh, man, that guy's got a hot bod. <laughs> yeah, my head is splitting just talking about this movie. I... I can't believe how fleeting it was in my memory, too. Like, I, I know I watched it, and yet if you press me to tell you anything about it, I, I just, wow, I don't know. Well, yeah, I remembered literally nothing about it except uh, kind of the feel of the picture quality and the soundtrack. Yeah, because it's That like, one, like, repeating kind of tinkling piano motif that they have. It's it's because it's unknowable. It's like trying to tell someone about a story a child told you. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm leaving out the important part where he says something that he then later reverses that had nothing to do on the like later events. Let me remember that. Like, yes. It's impossible to talk about a story that is incoherent. So good luck describing this podcast to someone. You know what, Tim? What? You got yourself in a tailspin. <laughs> I. You got yourself in a tailspin. Okay, that is memorable. You got yourself in a tailspin. The 
The one you got yourself in a tailspin. The one arrangement of colors that I did like on this, and it wouldn't go so much as to say it was like an image or anything, but at the end, when the film ends, it does say you have just experienced things. <laughs> That's right. And I do like the sort of um, uh, like the ballsiness of that, that it's an art piece, like it's a it's a happening or, or like some sort of uh, visual arts installation piece. <laughs> it makes a kind of sense because you really have just experienced things and you will never be the same again. That's true. Like it is it doesn't work like a normal movie. I wouldn't say that that is by design. <laughs> And I do feel like they just missed the bullseye by not saying you have just seen things. <laughs> so I feel like that is well, just, oh, just right on it. Maybe there was an argument about it. Yeah. Like, maybe there was a split where it's like, oh, dude, like, let's put it at the end, like, you have just seen things. It's funny, dude. It's like, no, no, dude, like, because this shit's yeah, crazy. Other- it says you just experienced things. No, I think the guy's like, no, hey, we say, you know, you've just seen things. Like, it's perfect, right? It's like seeing things. And the guy's like, ah, does... no, people are going to, like, it's too it's too pedestrian. Like, people are going to think, think it's accidental. Yeah, yeah. I think that they're actually, like, some, like, very uh, articulate auteurs that are just not good at making movies. <laughs> I mean, that's not the be-all, end-all of someone's ability, you know? Yeah, that is true. Yeah, you, you know, know there, there's book learning. Yeah, it's like... Uh, there's street smarts. It's like Alec Baldwin and Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. You know, you say you're a good father. Fuck you. Go home and play with your kids. And get the get the good leads. Well, you've just experienced our episode yeah, about things. Yeah, you've just experienced. Have you seen this? <laughs> Thanks for listening. It is on DVD. Yeah, Use yeah. caution. Do not operate heavy machinery. I don't know what else to say. My head hurts. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure you can find it on uh, various means. If there's a legit copy, yeah, by all means, seek it out. Yeah, you know, throw these guys some change because... They spent $300,000 on this movie. (laughs) Give or take a few hundred thousand. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, we can poke fun, but this is like the third or fourth time I've seen this movie, Mm -hmm. and I'm talking about it on my show. What can you say? Like, it is so singular that we had to talk about it. It is singular. At least I hope so. It really does fit into that category of movies that are so inept, they kind of transcend filmmaking and become worth watching. I agree with the first part. (laughs) (laughs) 